All right, so we are finishing up uh, this series called Greatest Hits. Uh, Matthew 7 is where we'll be today. If you access your Bibles on your phone or look it up, and not most of the scripture will be on the screen behind me. But we have been taking a look at this amazing teaching of Jesus early in his ministry. He's out, he's doing miracles, he's meeting new people, and his crowds were following him. And he does something amazing right at the beginning. It's not that he does all these signs and wonder. He gathers these people together. And in Matthew 5, right at the beginning of this, he says he saw the crowds, went up on a mountain, sat down, and they came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them. He literally poured truth into their life. Out of him, he teaches. He pours truth into them so that it takes root in their heart and brings fruit for themselves and for others. Jesus was not just a showman. He didn't just go around doing things to draw a crowd and say, wasn't that a great show, and then leave. He got in among the masses. He poured his life and his truth into them. And really his goal of his ministry season was not just to go around and put on a show. It was to go around and teach. And this is one of his key teachings that we've been looking at, this greatest hits, and we've broken it down into a number of parts. And one of the ways that we've been remembering and associating each teaching as we've taken a hit song from some of the last few decades and equating it to the teaching of the day. And today is our last one, is one of my favorite songs. I used to, we can go ahead and start it. You should know it. Everybody know this one, right? Like you just have to start nodding your head and stopping. Queen, we will rock you, 1977. All right, all right. The amazing thing, one of the reasons I picked this song is we are talking today about building your faith on the rock, like um, use that song, but. This song is also designed to be a participatory song. If you don't realize, there's only a few part, a few ver- a few uh, seconds in that song that there's any instrumental. It's all clapping and stomping, and it was designed to be when they performed it for the entire place to connect and to do it together. And actually, the most memorable performance of this, anybody remember Live Aid when they did this, and the whole Wembley Stadium was just rocking with this, and the moment that that created, they said actually began to really drive the giving for Live Aid, this song gives people began to participate together. And this is where Jesus is calling us in this teaching, especially today, is to not just look back on these teachings and go, oh, that was good, that was nice, that's a good thought here and there. It's actually to start participating, to start letting it rock our lives, to start letting the beat begin to reverberate in us and let it begin to play out in our lives. Not just to put it on a shelf, not to just say that's a good thing, maybe I'll come back to it one day, but to begin to start to live it out, walk it out, let it be a part of our everyday life. And at the end of chapter 7 here, he basically begins to draw some conclusions. He's pretty much done teaching and he's laid out some amazing truths. And I'll remind you, he was talking about how we will walk the path of life. We can walk it with peace and joy. He said, blessed are the people who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. He's like, you're going to have a broken road, but guess what? You can walk that broken road with peace and joy and happiness. And then he talked about how to live a life without regret, to live as salt and light, to make a difference, to not retract and to hide and isolate, but actually go and be a difference maker and don't at the end of your life, look back and go, I wish I would have 
And then he talked about a new way of living, a sensational way of living. And he did all these sayings of saying, you have heard it said, but now I say. And he changed the way we talked about our internal transformation. That is not just about trying to look good on the outside. It's about letting internal change happen on the inside. And then he talked about actually living authentically. Don't be like the hypocrites, he said, who pray like this, who give like this, who fast like this. He said, no, it's not about just the external signs. It's about allowing the truth of God to really change who you are from the inside out. And then he taught us how to pray, how to have conversations with God. He said, when you pray, pray like this. And he gave us a beautiful example and set examples of how we have these conversation starters with God. And then he talked and challenged us about that when we start to live like this, it brings hope into our life that we can get past anxiety, get over worry. He says, therefore, all of these things, when you start allowing that to play in your life, anxiety begins to dissipate in your life and peace begins to multiply. And then a couple weeks ago, we talked about as you're doing this, we start living as this beautiful, accurate reflection of God instead of God in the image we created him. We start living out as God's image in us, reflecting it to other people. So he has laid out these amazing truths. And now he comes and he's pretty much done teaching. He's like, I want to give you a couple of things to think about. Because Jesus knew that everybody's sitting there in that moment. It wouldn't be long until they're sitting under another teacher. So somebody else is going to come into their life and say, this is the truth. Or you should do this. Or they might even refute something that Jesus would say. And what he's teaching us in this last part is how to understand who faithful teachers are not false teachers are, but also how do we actually be faithful followers? How do we start putting this into action and not just giving it lip service? And so we're going to jump in today and understand authority and how authority plays out in our life. Because the truth is, some of us, and I'm falling into this boat sometimes, we can give instant authority to certain people in our lives for all the wrong reasons. The truth is, we let people speak into our lives sometimes, authority, and we doesn't necessarily mean for any good reason. doesn't mean that they're bad or they're wrong, but we just give them a place of an authority in our life without vetting them through the process that Jesus lays out here. And I just look back over my life, some, and maybe through people I know, and I said, what, what causes us to give some people instant authority in our life? And here are a few things that came to mind. Somebody who's successful, right? We just see them as successful. They've done something we want to do, and so we instantly give them authority in their life, in our life. Maybe they went about it the whole wrong way. Maybe they didn't do it. Maybe they were, you know, no integrity. Maybe they did it and hurt other people. But there where we are wanting to be, so we give them authority in our life. Maybe they're rich. Maybe they have money, and we want money. And so we're like, whatever they did, I'll do. Maybe they're just popular. Maybe they got a lot of followers on Instagram. Or like, everybody else is following them. Maybe I should follow them too, right? And just give them some authority in our life. Or maybe just we have something in common with them. Right? We have the same background. We have, we're the same color. We have the same political mindset. We're from the same alma mater. We have whatever background in common. And so we just give them authority in our life. Or maybe it's by a position. They've been elected or promoted and placed in some position over us. So we just believe that we should listen to them. No questions asked. And the truth is we can all fall traps to giving people instant authority in our life. And this is what Jesus pushes back on in the back part of chapter 7 here. He's like, hold on. He's like, I'm not saying everybody's bad, but there are going to be some false teachers out there. 
There are going to be people who are going to try to get you off track. And if you're not careful who you put in authority in your life, you're going to get off track. And so let's look this morning at how we identify false faithful teachers and false and faithful followers. The first thing I want you to hear this morning that he teaches is that we must beware of false teachers. Beware. Matthew 7, 15 through 20, he just says it straight out. He's done teaching. He says, but beware of false prophets. They will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Are figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. I want to see this morning a few characteristics of, of uh, false teachers. And the first one he describes them here is, first character is they're like wolves, he says. And the idea here is they use fearful authority. Fearful authority. False teachers are ones who love to use fear to motivate. They either prey on our current fears or they create new fears that we never even knew were supposed to be there. And now we're afraid and then they use those fears to control us. They do things like this. They withhold acceptance to, so they keep you feeling inadequate. They always create a win-lose situation where you primarily lose, and they win. They elevate the worst possible outcomes and use that to scare you into doing things. They prey on current fears and create division within those fears. They're always putting down anyone who disagrees with them. They belittle with name-calling and fear-mongering. They scare you. And you're scared to not do what they say because maybe they're going to turn on you. And here's what they use. Their number one tool that they use is condemnation. They condemn others and elevate themselves. False teachers that are wolves condemn others and elevate themselves. They're like this wolf that, that Jesus described here. They ravage on the fear of others. They feed on it. They attack and they bring fear and suffering in it probably does not take you but half a second to identify somebody in your life that has been in an authority position that is this kind of person. Immediately. I mean, it is just a fear, but that fear actually motivates you to, to do things. And, and then you justify in your mind, well, they got me to do something I wouldn't have done. Or I made, did, made a decision finally because of fear. And we start thinking that this is a healthy way of teaching and leading, and it's not. And Jesus is saying, beware of these kind of people. Beware. They were people that will come into your life and want to use condemnation to teach you that they are false teachers. The second characteristic that he describes here, he says, he uses the illustration of thorns. He's like, do you get grapes? You know, do you have to go through thorn bushes to get grapes or figs through thistles? He's like, no, the fruit is there. It's easy to pick. Fig tree, you just grab it. A, a grapes, you just break off the branch. You don't have to fight for the fruit. It is readily available. False teachers are ones who make obedience painful. Painful obedience is their tactic. They tempt you with like a beautiful rose of a possible outcome, but all you end up seeming to experience are the thorns of life and the thorn and the pain that comes with it. The joy always just seems to be out of reach, but they keep dangling it in front of you. You just try to do better, work harder, sacrifice more, give more, and then maybe you'll get the good fruit. Maybe you'll get the prize. And Jesus was like, no, this is not how it works. You don't have to fight for the real truth, for God's truth. 
It, it's there. It is readily available to us. And false teachers use things like this. They operate off of this sacrifice and reward mentality. There's no grace. If you want some kind of reward, you've got to earn it and, and work for it as hard as you can. You've probably got to give more than you're going to get. They create unnecessary barriers to success and growth, and especially spiritual leaders that are false teachers do this. If you really want God's love, you have to do this, 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 and this. And they start teaching this, and so they jump, try to make you jump over barriers that God has been working to break down. You often have to learn things the way they learn them. They don't believe that you can learn it any other way except the way that they learned it. And you never feel like you will actually catch up to them. They always stay in the front. They dangle authority for you, but you never seem to get a share of it. And here's the tool that these people use. It's guilt. Guilt. They use guilt like thorns of that rose to remind you that you aren't good enough. That you haven't measured up. Your failures are too great. You have too long to go still. And they keep you treading in water. What guilt does is this. It keeps you treading in water instead of actually swimming forward. Mm -hmm. And this is what false teachers do. Mm -hmm. They want to make you feel like you're busy and just keep going and keep going, but it's guilt. I can never move forward. I'm never good enough. I'm never ready for the race. I'm never ready to get in. And you just tread water. And this is what false teachers do to take advantage of you. And he's like, Jesus is like, no. Truth isn't that hard to find. It's there. Just get a hold of it. Just grab it. And if somebody is creating barriers for you, they're a false teacher. They're a false teacher. The third characteristic is this. He mentions it. He says an unhealthy tree is full of disease. It's disease. There's going to be damaging consequences in your life. When we follow the teachings of a false teacher, they're the ones who replicate this disease in the way that others think. They create pain, brokenness, and other bad fruit in people's lives that end up creating a terrible culture that is spread to other relationships. You probably experienced this, right? Things go bad at work. Things go sour at work. There's consequences, damaging. You're just not happy. Somebody using fear, guilt, condemnation on you. And it's created this bad culture in your mind and your heart. And you can't help but take that home. You can't help but bring it into a marriage relationship or into a relationship with your kids or your friends. It just starts to affect and disease everything. There's damaging consequences. And here's what these kind of leaders do when, they, when this disease starts to take control. These false teachers, they try to isolate you from other authorities and other ways of thinking. They tell you everything else is bad. My way is the only way. They demand unconditional loyalty, but they don't return it. They keep people contained instead of multiplying. They never celebrate something unless it was good for them. And they punish failure in your life while excusing it in their own life. These are damaging consequences, and it creates a horrible culture. And here's the tool they use. They use the tool of indoctrination. They were bad, diseased fruit spreads like a sickness. And here's the crazy part. We start to forget what healthy looks like. Hmm. When we follow these false teachers that are using fear, that are using guilt, we stop realizing what, we stop, we don't even remember what healthy looks like. We start thinking this disease state is normal. And when that happens, we were so isolated from everyone else and they set themselves up as the ultimate picture of authority, they make everyone else look diseased. We start looking at healthy things and think they're the rotten ones. And this is where we know false teacher leads us. And we've got to be careful. And this is true, and I think this is certainly true in biblical teaching and how we teach God's word, but it's true in how we lead people and teach people regardless. 
And here's the thing. I can look at this and be like, yeah, I can identify people that have done that in my life. Every one of these. But here's the hard part. When I stop and actually go, have I used these tactics in other people's lives? Have I been the false teacher? Have I used fear to teach my children? Have I used guilt to motivate people? Have I tried to just indoctrinate people to my way of thinking and isolate them from other people? We've got to be able wary of both, right? Not letting somebody lead us like this, but also not leading like this at all. But there's a second thing that he says here. He's not just talking about those, the teachers. He said there's also another thing you've got to be aware of. And he says avoid being a false follower. Don't just say, well, Jesus started to focus on the false teachers, but now he shifts and lets us know it's just not those speaking with authority that can get it wrong. We as followers can also miss the mark as well. We can send in our good teaching, good authority, and end up being a false follower, a bad student. Listen to verse 21 to 23, and it says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many of you will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And it gives us some more characteristics here of what people do that are false followers. And the first one is that they just label themselves Christian, right? External compliance. We said, Lord, Lord, I called you, Lord. Like, I, I said it, right? I, I proclaimed it. That's all I need to do. I put the label of Christian on, and we can make following Jesus and submitting to authority simply about external compliance. I'll say the word, Lord. I will recite whatever I need to. Just because you call someone authority in your life doesn't mean that you actually give them authority in your life. We can simply do what they say without believing what they are teaching us is true. And I know I've done this in my spiritual life before. I was like, you know, God, I, I'll say this. I will show up and I'll do what I'm supposed to do. But I'm, I'm, I'm really not on the team in my heart. It's just about external compliance. And we give external acceptance, but our hearts don't comply. We can say good to their face, but undercut them to others. And we equate being a part of a team or a group as just compliance. I go to church. I'm good. And we just put the label on it. But then he says, not just a label that's characteristic. The other thing that we can fall into the trap of is just doing a list of things, right? Compulsory obedience. Like you said, hey, you told us to cast out demons, check, and did that. You told us to do other mighty works, check, we did that. You told us to feed the poor, check, we did this. Like, you, all these things you told us to do, we did, check, check, check. We, we, obey, we obey. And we can make following Jesus and submitting to authority simply by doing a list of do's and don'ts. We prophesied, we did all these things. Are we in? Aren't we good? If truth never gets into our hearts, if it just stays external, then our obedience is just empty actions. We just do the minimum and try to see what we can get by with. We compare our level of obedience to others. We go bitter when we aren't recognized for just doing the basics. And we do what is in our job description as a Christian and no more. What do I have to do to just be considered a follower of Jesus or just have that label on? I'll do that. But then the third one here is I think where much of it is hidden because all of us can, I think, deal with those first two, but this is where he really deals. He calls them workers of lawlessness. And lawlessness means we have this really concealed deviance in our heart. What I mean by this, this final mark, is the fact that we may look like we are good followers on the outside, we comply with our job, we get things done, but we are really workers of lawlessness, meaning that we have never given up authority of our lives. 
In our heart of hearts, we are still in control. No law applies except the law that I want. That's what lawlessness means. Everyone in authority in our life eventually is removed. Here's how you know how this is a trap. You're caught in that lawlessness. Like you'll, you'll submit to an authority for a little bit, and then all of a sudden you'll start finding problems with that authority until you pop to another authority. And then you're good for a little bit, and then oh, find problems with that one. And then you pop to another one, pop to another one, just moving around. And you have to come to a point where you realize maybe it's not something wrong with every authority that you've dealt with. It's something wrong with your own heart. I always submit for a season until change is too much. And I jump from one to another and make it look like I'm submitting and learning when I'm just keeping my lawlessness. My own desires always win. They always win the battle, the long battle. I want to make my own laws. And we know this. Like if we are actually workers of lawlessness, when you turn that view into your own heart, into your own mind, you know it. You know that when it comes down to it, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm the ultimate authority in my life. And that's a worker of lawlessness. It's this concealed deviance. And Jesus is like, guys, if you act like that, if you don't, not willing to submit to actual truth, you're going to be a false follower. Just a label. Just list. But then he jumps right in and says, there are examples of what it actually means to be a faithful follower. How do we become a faithful follower? Someone who actually submits and follows the path of truth. And verse 24 says this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat at the house, it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rain fell, the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell, there was great fall of it. And he talks about some things here that makes us characteristics of people who actually build their house on that rock, who are faithful followers. And the first one he says is they actually hear. There is something, they allow truth into their life. There is some kind of internal transformation. They listen, they hear, they're opening to learning and growing. And what Jesus is saying here is like, it's not that you got to go out and listen to 28 podcasts every day and read 32 self-help books and all just have flood your life with information. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about actually meditating and internalizing what he is teaching. The truth that he is pouring into your life. I want you to hear this. Change, true change happens in our life when it changes how I think before it changes how I act. It is much easier for me to change how I act than for me to change how I think. How I think changes when I start to internalize truth. I start to meditate or I actually start to listen and hear it. How do we do this? Really listen to what Jesus and the Bible teaches. I know, look, I've been teaching the Bible a long time. I've been around church a long time. And sometimes somebody will start reading a passage, a scripture, and I'll be like, yeah, I know that one. I got that one down. Or I'll be reading a book, and they'll be like, oh, in Matthew it says this. I was like, yeah, I'll skip over that. I know what that says. Like, I just mentally do that instead of actually, no, that's the truth. That Those are words of Jesus that I need to meditate on and hold on to and internalize. Don't rush through passages of story. Allow them to soak in. It says to hide, word, hide God's word in your heart. And to me, there's two ways to do it. There's actually the tool of memorization where we memorize passages. But you know, you can memorize things and never internalize them. And we can use the tool of memorization, but we have to pick up the practice of internalization. Of actually taking those truths and allowing them to dig deep and to fill up every part of our life. 
What is this truth doing to me? How is it impacting me? I don't just hear it once, but it reverberates in my mind. So we hear. But the second thing he says then is, anybody who does these, we start having enthusiastic obedience. A faithful follower then starts to do what Jesus teaches us, to put us into practice, to take it for a test drive. Even when we don't fully understand it, when he says to love your enemy, to pray for those who persecute you, and you're like, I, I don't know. We, we have such ability to enthusiastic obedience. We're like, I'll give it a shot. I'll take it for a test drive. It's like he gives us this gift, and we're like, let's open it and see and start using it, not just keep it on a shelf. Too many of us sometimes, and I'm guilty of this just as much as anybody, of taking a teaching, liking it, loving it, saying this was so good, and then I walk out of here and I put it on a shelf and I never use it. I hear it, but I don't do it. And this is where a true faithful follower begins to see life change happen is when we start putting it into practice. And then the third thing he says is it's like a person who built their house on a rock. Is we have this unwavering foundation in our life. A true follower, life is founded on the rock, on a steady rock that will not yield and will not move. I hope you are praying and keeping up with this hurricane that is coming in. And I'm, I'm just thinking, talking to those who work down in that area, and we have some connections down there of like, so much damage could happen because of the wind and the rain. And that's what this is about. This they could come in. If you don't have a strong foundation, your house can get wiped out. I mean, we saw that in Puerto Rico before. We've seen it anytime there's storms like this. And there are going to be storms in your life. There are going to be huge hurricanes that blow into your life. And if you don't have a firm foundation, this unwavering thing beyond yourself, it is going to blow your house down. It's going to knock it down. Circumstances don't overwhelm us when we have a foundation beyond ourselves. Discouragement and anxiety don't own us when we have a foundation that's on, built on the rock of the truth of Christ. Fear and failures are not crippling to us when we can build on this solid foundation because we have something beyond us, a peace that passes understanding, a faith that is beyond ourselves. Our outlook is always an uplook. When we look, no matter what's coming, our thing is not to look in or to look around, it's to look up and say, you are the foundation. You are the one that will get me through this, whatever it is. So be a faithful follower. And then we'll close quickly with the last thing, that then to embrace a faithful teacher. And Jesus is, of course, the ultimate faithful teacher. He is the source of truth. He is God in the flesh. He is not just an authority. He is the authority. And this is what they notice there in verse 28. And it says, when Jesus had finished this saying, the crowd were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. And what they meant by not as their scribes is basically scribes were just repeating it. And it's kind of what I do. I'm a teacher. I'm not the ultimate authority. I'm communicating the authority of Christ. But Christ is the only one who gets to stand up here and say, from what he speaks is true, completely true. I can communicate it. But what he speaks, he is speaking as a source of truth. And how can you? How do you know what a faithful teacher is? First character is this. God is always the authority. It's not what I say. It's not what I think. It's not what I do. This is, does this truth come from God? God is good and righteous because he is is our creator and author, perfecter of all things, good and gracious. Remember, this is not the God that we created in our own image. It is the God that created us in his image. The God that we can look to, that are being transformed by the truth that he speaks into our life. This truth is changing us, it's teaching us. And then there's always an outcome. And the outcome of a faithful teacher is holiness. Ultimately, that's what Jesus 
And that's why he was the perfect faithful teacher, because what he taught, he also did. What he said, he did in complete connection. None of us are ever going to hit that standard. But the truth is, that's what the outcome should be, is we should start living lives of holiness. Faithful teachers don't say something to get a reaction from the crowd. Instead, they teach what the crowd needs to hear, even at times if it's painful, controversial, and unpopular. And then we take those things and holiness begins to grow in our life. And the third thing, characteristics, is there's benefits. Faith, hope, and love are benefits when we follow a faithful teacher. When we allow the truth that God is the authority to pour into our lives. They don't teach for themselves or for the expansion of their platform. They teach to bring about lasting benefits of a transformed life into those that are listening. Scripture says there are three things that will remain. Faith, hope, and love. And a faithful teacher will always point you to those things. To look at something beyond yourself. To have faith in God the Father who created you. To have hope beyond your circumstances. And to realize that you can live as holy. You can live holy through whatever circumstances you face as we follow the example of Christ. And then love. Love which is one of the ultimate gifts of the Spirit. That we actually get to commune and connect with God and have this loving relationship with our Creator. And we get to model that love out to other people as the Spirit lives in us. So my question for you today is this. What type of authority are you allowing into your life? What type of authority are you being in other people's lives? Are you a faithful teacher? Are you giving, are you using fear, guilt, indoctrination, condemnation to control people? Are you allowing God to speak through you, allowing his authority to shine through you? To model holiness, to encourage holiness, and to see benefit come into people's lives. And then sometimes we need to check and say, what authority am I allowing into my life? I'm actually being a faithful follower. And the thing is, is that this teaching isn't just about knowing what Jesus said. It's about hearing, doing, and building on it, and remembering it. Actually remembering it beyond our time together on Sunday mornings. And we typically end every series with an act of remembrance of communion. And today we're going to share communion as we end our service together. And we love to do this at the end of a teaching series because it's not just a time to remember the sacrifice that Christ paid for us, that the bread and the juice represent his blood and his body that were broken and shed for us and that provided a way of salvation, a way for you and I to have a not just a spiritual but even a deep, deep emotional connection with our creator. The way we experience salvation is by knowing that the payment of Christ is enough for us. But as we do this remembrance, it's also a beautiful way to remember what we've been taught, what has been poured into us, the teachings of Christ that we've experienced over these last few weeks that are now beginning to reverberate in our minds. And so as you come to the table, I'll invite you to, we'll pray in a minute, and then I'll invite you to the table. If you've never done communion with us before, you can just come and take the bread and dip it in the juice and take it by yourself. Take it with somebody else. Couple of us will be down here if you need somebody to pray with you. And here's my encouragement as you take it today. The table is designed for those who have a relationship with Christ, for those who have experienced salvation. And so as you take it, remember the salvation that you've experienced, but also remember something in this series, maybe even just today, is your first Sunday here to be like, what teaching of Christ do I need to remember today? Let me pray for us and then the table will be open. Father, we're so grateful that the words of Christ are true. And God, they bring truth in our lives. They change our lives. 
words that we can hold on to. They're not just uh, good thoughts. They're not just a book on a shelf. And they are seeds in our heart that are planted there and bring fruit. And God, as we come to the table today and remember, may you help us to remember these truths in our lives as we remember the sacrifice that you paid for us as well. In Jesus' name, amen.